What's the game-changing realization that helped you build a high-performing team? That question is at the center of every episode of the HR Impact Show. Every HR professional wants to build a team that has empowered managers, engaged employees, and an organization that's striving to become elite. The challenge is that you're often told to do more with less. We're gonna fix that. Every week, we will feature executive and senior HR leaders from across the country, and they will share with us their actionable insights and best practices that can help empower you to create an engaged elite workforce. Here's the show. Thanks for joining us today on the AR Impact Show. I am your friendly neighborhood talent strategy nerd, Dr. Jim. And in today's conversation, we are going to look at how building organizational culture and anthropology have a lot more in common than what you would think. Our featured guest today is Shannon Thomas. She's going to guide us through that conversation. Let me give you a little bit of background on her story. She's currently the CHRO at uh, Enersys, and she's been in that role since May of 2023. Prior to that role, she was the VP of HR, Total Rewards, and HR Operations at King Morris Company. She has over 20 years of experience as an HR professional and progressively larger global manufacturing roles. And I'm going to be really interested in that manufacturing background because I think there's a, some interesting conversation to be had there. From an educational perspective, she has an MBA in Human Resources Management from University of Houston Clear Lake and has her bachelor's in human resources management from Marietta College. Shannon, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm glad that you are here. And I think before we dive into the bulk of the conversation, I'd like you to fill in some gaps here and share with us anything else that you feel is important for the listeners to connect with that wasn't included in your bio. I think part of being here is I've, I've failed and learned a lot along the way, and I've been a really good student uh, along the way in, in all those learnings. So I think that is why I'm uniquely positioned to start having some conversations about those learnings and sharing so that maybe other people don't uh, step in as big of bear traps maybe is what I have throughout my careers. I've tried and failed and learned and carried on. So I like your emphasis on uh, trying, failing, learning, and then moving on from that. It's something that a lot of people in the world of work are a little bit tentative about. How did you build that tolerance for failure and have that learning and growth mindset? If we go way back, I think a lot of it was I was your typical latchkey kid. And so there was a lot of independence. So I had to figure out things on my own a lot. And so that leads to failure. In my career, it's also led to not being great at asking for help. So it's one of those things that I'm working on. But Throughout, throughout my life, I've had to just figure things out. And that comes with making mistakes and uh, learning that lesson of it's not the mistake you make, it's how you respond to the mistake and how you pick yourself back up and move on. I've never been the best student, but I've always been one of the grittiest ones. And so having been recognized and rewarded for that early on in my life has reinforced it and, and become a bit of my mantra, which we're talking about development today. I always get a smile when I have another feral Gen Xer like me <laughs> on, on the show. So it's going to be an interesting conversation. So I appreciate you sharing that. So I want to build a little bit of texture about your current role and maybe some of your more recent. When you think about the accomplishment that you're most proud of, and that could be in, in your current role or the one that you had prior to that, what comes to mind? My answer to that has changed throughout my career, and they're all great answers. But I think today it is the, the relationships that I've built throughout my career. And I have a handful of people inside of those relationships are people who I've taken big chances on too, 
just like people have take, taken chances on me and throughout my career, I've taken chances on those people. And some of those people's careers have surpassed mine and they did it even quicker. This community and network that I've built and the relationships that I've created throughout my career, because those are now repaying me in, in ways that I never anticipated. And it can be as simple as when I have a job opening, people are reaching out to me for those opportunities, or even just people that know me, that know people are reaching out to me for those opportunities. And so there's some very kind of tactical ways that it's helping me, but also just too from making my heart grow a little bit bigger perspective. It's helping me out a lot too in terms of those relationships and seeing them now blossom and foster fruit. I'm really happy with how you pulled out the community aspect and the network aspect of what you're most proud of. The reason why it stood out to me is that when we look at Gen X as a generation, we are basically feral. And we came up having to rely heavily on the rugged individualism or some variation of that. So the whole concept of community and network wasn't really something that we naturally, and I'm speaking in broad terms, but we didn't naturally take to that. How much of that influenced your intentionality around building a network and building a community? It's been hard for me to learn. I, I always tried. And even recently in my hometown and my where I got my bachelor's degree, married at college, was recognized and in a publication. And I really did immediately think about those were some of my first mentors and some of the first people that, that kind of brought me up and developed me were the professors I had at Marietta College. But it's just the little, those little lessons along the way that you can trust and rely on people and they're going to be your advocates and help you grow. And I had people at Marietta College. I was not an easy student. <laughs> Maybe I wasn't a great student either, but I wasn't an easy student. I was working my way through college. and Making rent sometimes was my first priority versus school. But I think the professors just recognized that and they understood me and they made sure that I was getting my needs met in terms of what I needed to, to be successful there. Really solid stuff. When you think about the moonshots that you have on your radar in your current role, what are one or two big things that you're really targeting as big impact elements that you want to drive within within your role? I'm, I'm really blessed. I work for a great company that has this really beautiful strategy that's incredibly achievable laid out ahead of us. And I think that there's going to be this kind of five or six year story in terms of what the company has delivered on. And I'm going to be able to articulate very specifically what the HR element of that's going to be. And so I have this really great vision right now in terms of what we can accomplish and how we're going to help the, the business strategy achieve their mission as well. And there just could not be anything more motivating and exciting for me at this point in my career. You see companies that are just trying to do everything, right? They're just trying to eat the elephant and they're always out there and here's all the great things we're doing. I will say our business leaders are, are wonderful at articulating a very succinct and clear strategy. So once you know what those two objectives are, it's easy to build how you're going to push that. Uh, within your function. So I, I'll give my our leadership credit for that. One of the things that often comes up is taking those big picture strategy items and then connecting the dots all the way down to the manager and line level. And that in and of itself sounds pretty simple, but that can be a big, pretty big undertaking. Your point about being succinct and clear, especially when it comes to big strategy items, I think that's well taken because that's, a, that's something that's often missed. And you mentioned it yourself, a lot of organizations try to eat the elephant and focus yeah. on 20 different things and you don't make much progress. When you think about the role that you're in, what's the most fun aspect of the role that you're in that, that makes it challenging and interesting for you? Honestly, seeing the people have the failure and seeing that they're supported and advocated for and that aha moment that they have, because it's really magical. So the first time someone leans in and they take a chance and you can tell that they're holding their breath or crossing their fingers and toes and, and praying that it's going to work out. 
And even if it doesn't, the little aha they have of it's okay. Like, it's okay. You are still here. You're in my corner. I'm going to go do something else now and try it something else. And I'm only going to get better along the way. So seeing other people now have those growth moments, it's just, it really is the funnest part of my job. It's interesting that the theme of getting comfortable with failure has come up a couple of times and we're pretty early on in the conversation. What are the things that you've noticed that has helped make that transition or make that mindset embed itself within the organization? That's just the the values, the belief systems, the actions, the responses. It's just that natural kind of tribal response that you see in an organization. So it's what people see, right? Um, So they see other people taking chances and they see the leaders being there to develop them, coach them, making sure it's not just a gotcha. I hate that gotcha thing where people go, yeah, here, go do this. They give you no feedback, no coaching. And then at the end, when you fail, just, well, gotcha. I told you, you you weren't ready for this after all. And instead of finding some lateral space for you to continue your development, maybe suddenly you've been in the the black hole of that job forever. No one sees you as uh, promotable or developable anymore, or it's a worst case scenario, some type of demotion. So it's what it's the terms of allowing people and that they're really not being a penalty for the failure. Now, failing over and over again is a different story right now. We're talking about performance, but it's uh, especially when you're coaching, you're developed into a space and you're given that big shot, you have to be advocated for. There, there's a culture, too, of allowing people opportunities. I, I know in my own career, I was coached and mentored many times about taking an HR kind of center of excellence role because I'd always been an HR generalist and that was really where my heart was. And there were certainly companies I worked at where I saw when people took those COE roles, they never came out. There was no exit plan there. And it wasn't until later in my career, I worked at a company who was really great at leaning into development and this whole fail fast idea. And I also had a leader in particular who I knew had my best interests in mind. And it was the safe space to go take, take those chances, move into roles that I didn't have all the boxes checked in my career to go take and uh, learn and grow and develop. I would imagine a lot of what you said for it to become successful, for it to be truly embedded as a cultural aspect within an organization, you have to bank on that clarity and succinctness and alignment with vision and be constantly talking about those things because that's how it shows up. And if you're disciplined about doing those things, You've probably seeded the environment when a lot of examples of people who have tried stuff and maybe it hasn't turned out as exactly as it had intended, but you don't have this carnage behind you of people that have been demoted or, 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 or removed and things like that. So I, I really like that thread that you weaved in there. You can see it in companies' values. You can also see it in what they reward and recognize. Are they only recognize the, the easy putts or are they recognizing the big stretch opportunities that people have taken and are they even recognizing maybe some of that fail fast stuff? Are they recognizing the project that didn't maybe give the rewards or the results that they were hoping for, but there was some other learning and just recognizing and appreciating the learning along the way. Are those conversations that are happening at the company as well with the other clues that you're in that culture? One of the things that's interesting about the conversation that we've had so far is that it seems to be leading into what we opened the, the, the show with. And this, that was this idea that if you want to build a really strong culture, you need to think in a lot of ways like an anthropologist and work through that. 
So how does that fit into the game-changing realization that you had that really helped you build high-performing teams? This concept of organizational anthropology came to me as I worked with a really brilliant leader. So I was fortunate enough to work with this leader, and, and among his other degrees and accomplishments, he had an MS in applied anthropology. And I just remember being extremely curious about this. He was also clearly a gifted, brilliant leader. And he would be so proud of this applied anthropology degree that he had. And we would have these discussions about help me understand why you're so proud of this degree and how you apply it. And he would talk a lot about processes within an organization or laterals within an organization or the whether it's perceived, maybe just perceived relationships of how work gets done, of how projects get approved. He was just always sensing, feeling, scanning, observing the organization. And it was totally the anthropologist in him. Now, since then, you I think there's more people talking about this. There's a Dr. Greg Urban, a professor of anthropology at the University of Pennsylvania, for example, and he does some coursework on organizational anthropology. So I think it's coming up a bit more and more. But again, when culture is just this shared attitudes, values, goals, and beliefs and practices, having someone that can read that and understand what those are is really important. And I think that's where we have a bit of a miss sometimes. We talk about culture, but we're not really great at measuring it. I think a lot of companies actually have tried really hard to create some measurements of cultures and you have engagement surveys and you have elements that can give you clues, but it's this organizational anthropology uh, gift or, or skill that will really get into the nuts and bolts of what's going on in your culture. I want to simplify this a little bit when there might be people that are listening to this and they're wondering organizational anthropology and building an effective culture, how do we even start doing that? And there was something in what you mentioned where the person that influenced you was always scanning, engaging sentiment, evaluating how that translates and making pivots along the way. So how do we take what that person did and build a structure or cadence as people leaders within an organization so that they can do that as well and build this sort of culture that's more meaningful than just theoretical in nature? I've been at companies where I knew the culture wasn't going to serve me in a certain way. And I didn't just leave. I, I, I used it for the value that it had in other ways. And it's a little bit of the same here. You have to have a, a few or maybe a majority of key leaders who are already embodying this trait in order to make it something that you're going to recognize and reward, because that's how you grow it, right, is the recognition and reward aspect of it that you're having conversations about performance or conversation about succession plans. You're not just talking about the technical skills, but you're saying, hey, look, I've seen this leader observe something that was breaking down within their organization and quickly remedy it. Or the leader who's always looking at how information's flowing from one work team to another and having conversations about how to fix it or give people access to information. It's recognizing those skills. And you have to have a few key leaders. And I would say your HR team too. This has to be a bit of the culture at the top in order for you to embed the culture throughout your organization. Wow, it's been a great conversation so far. Make sure you join the HR Impact community where we gather a community of HR leaders just like you. This is a space where top people leaders share actionable insights and practical playbooks. Sign up today as a member for the community, get updates on the latest HR resources and exclusive event invites. You can join the community at www.engagerocket.co slash HR Impact. And now, back to the show. Yep. There's a phrase that struck me as you were talking through your, your explanation, and that's this concept of attitude reflects leadership. So if you want your team and your people to behave in a certain way, you have to model what that looks like for it to become real. And the reason why it hit me 
And I want to tie this back to our failure and development conversation. You said for anything to be impactful within an organization, there have to be a couple of people in positions of power and leadership and influence that embody what this looks like. So if we're building a culture that is development oriented, that embraces failure, what are the things that leaders need to do from a behaviors perspective that you feel is important for the listeners to know and understand and even put into play? The candor about your own shortcomings can be a brilliant way that kind of authentic. These are the things that I'm working on. I had a leader just today and we were having a discussion about his succession. And he even said, it, this may be my, explain why this might be his bias and gave some of the history. But he's always quick to call out, here's my view or my belief or, or what I'm thinking, but here's what might be underlying some of where I'm coming from. And to me, what he's sharing with me is his own kind of growth or the things that he's at least afraid are his blind spots. And it opens the door for me to be candid with him about any kind of coaching or feedback I'd have in that space. Leaders who are also setting an example in terms of their own development and their own desire to develop and be better, that's really a great clue. That's a leader that's going to support the failing fast and a development culture. I really like how you called out the leaders who have candor, leaders who have transparency about their own blind spots. And maybe in the moment, they're not even really thinking it's a blind spot. They always have it top of mind. I think that's a good model for other folks that at the team level to, to take on. What else would you say are best practices or habits that really strong leaders who want to build that development culture, failure culture should be doing on a day in, day out basis? It's why you recognize a reward too, right? It's, it's so who's getting promoted? Are the brilliant jerks getting promoted in your organization or are the leaders who are working on their development, trying to be better, who are very coachable and take feedback? Is that who you're promoting? And then also too, what are you rewarding? Are your rewards also tied to your values within your organization? And in terms of performance, are you talking about these other things too and how coachable and how development-minded someone is, not just what they provide in terms of results? How are they working with other people? How are they coaching others? Making sure that someone is thinking about the succession plan and developing unders, underneath them too. If, if they're not doing that, I would argue that they're not ready to be promoted. They should be developing others along the way. And that should be something that you recognize and reward too. There's a few different avenues that you're just going to see repeated over and over in terms of this is what we focus on. This is what we reward. This is what we foster and, and advocate for within our organization. I like the closed loop that you brought in where you're having these conversations and as much as possible tying it back to mission and values. I think that's an important piece that a lot of leaders might forget about in the trenches when, when things get busy. You want clarity about what to reward, how to reward. You should be intentional about tying it back to values and mission as a way forward. These cultures aren't operating without a North Star, right? You're right. They're, it's still grounded in purpose and mission and values. And there is still a North Star in these organizations. But yeah, everything behind it is, is pushing in that direction as well. It, we're, we're talking about building cultures that are really development oriented. Now, sometimes that can be executed poorly if you're only focusing in on gaps that people have and using that conversation as a barrier for them to stretch or expand or develop. What's your advice to people who want to build that development culture, but also need to be phrasing things in a way where you're still giving people opportunities instead of having these as barriers to opportunities? 
this is something that everybody talks about and wants to do. And it's very hard to do. And, and I think this is what you're saying. It's that whole ability over experience piece. And, and how do you measure ability versus experience? Everyone is much more comfortable with measuring experience. To your point, they're much more comfortable. Here are the list of things you need to go do to be ready for this next role and checking the box and making sure you've done all those things. It's very easy. It's very black and white. Measuring ability is so subjective and it makes people really uncomfortable. And it's still, even if as a leader and even today, you have this bias of the comfort of knowing everyone has achieved all the things they need to go achieve on that checklist versus the ability to do it. It's very tough. And that's what I relate that to is the value of ability over experience. Not that experience isn't important, but it doesn't have anything to do with necessarily ability. Those are the two different pieces. I, I like how you split out uh, those two criteria. And I think it ties back to something that you mentioned earlier, is that it's not enough for leaders to say, here's a stretch opportunity for you to go figure it out. Uh, by taking that ability mindset, or at least that focus on ability, it, it gives you the space to collaboratively build a plan to, to overcome or fill those gaps while still getting the opportunity to advance in, in the role. And measuring ability can be really simple too. So I want to give an example to add some kind of, kind of concrete view to this. I remember, and this is a very simple example, I was working with a leader on uh, the interview process and I was actually trying to help the leader learn how to measure ability over wanting to measure all the checklists on the resume, right? And so I started joining this leader for phone screens and then we would talk afterwards about what he heard versus what I heard. And we had this instance where we called someone and we clearly caught them off guard. They weren't frazzled. They were just like, oh, okay, let me find a place to meet, blah, blah, blah. It occurred to me throughout the conversation that this person was located at that time in the central time zone and we were the eastern time zone. And so I began to realize we just caught them off guard. We called them an hour ahead. There was a mix up with the scheduling and they weren't quite expecting our call. So I brought that up to the candidate afterwards. He was like, yeah, but no big deal. I just, I found a room and got into a private place and, and took the phone call. And he still interviewed very well. My point that was, had he taken the call when he was expecting her call, he probably would have had his notes in front of him, his resume in front of him, and he would have been completely prepared. We caught him in a moment where he probably wasn't his best and completely prepared. And still through the interview, we didn't see any of the sweat that he might have been sweating or the nerves or the lack of preparedness. And so that's, I think, a great example of ability, right? That was someone's ability to just roll with the punches and keep their cool and remain composed and uh, still provide a great interview. And we ended up actually hiring that candidate. I'm not sure otherwise that they would have made it through the phone screen because they weren't checking all the boxes for the leader. What I gather out of that example, it's a great relevant example, is that even in less specific instances, you're never going to have everything figured out and you're never going to have all the boxes checked. So when in doubt, your career has been shaped by people that took chances on you. Those are calculated chances. So you have to really be thinking about okay, in this moment with this person, is this a calculated chance that I can take to drive them forward? Or is the risk way too heavy uh, to make that sort of decision? That's probably a question uh, that people should have in their back pocket to think about. Shannon, I've been having a series of these where I wish I had an hour to talk about these things because we could really dive deep. We've talked about a lot of things in this conversation, we've illustrated the value of why it's important and to some degree what you need to be doing. For the folks that are listening and they want to execute what we're talking about, start the process of building that development culture, that failure tolerance. 
How do they do that? What are the things that you would recommend they do from a people process and technology perspective that they should have on their radar when they start their journey of, of transforming their culture into this model? You, you, so you think there's kind of leadership and HR support here, and you think you've got that foundation that you can build on and you want to, to grow it. There are systems, tools, and processes that will support the development culture. So a career development framework, starting with the skills ontology to job profiles and career maps, having that framework within your organization will be helpful. Tools for global collaboration. I think a lot of companies are looking at different chat applications where people can just get on and, and connect globally. Just visibility to opportunities, whether those are your job postings or, or things like gig boards. So those short-term development opportunities and gigs are, are, I think, very valuable to an organization as well. Mentor programs, coaching programs, some type of access to learning. For those with Workday, it might be Udemy. We have an internal academy at Intersys that we're very proud of, but there is access to all types of topics in terms of learning. And leadership programs. There's definitely a way to build an infrastructure around this to provide leaders who are interested the tools that they need to help with their team and help with their own development in terms of how they're going to be able to create those subcultures within their work groups. Shannon, great conversation, great breakdown on what people should have on their radar. If they want to continue the conversation, what's the best way for them to find you? I would start with LinkedIn. I'm pretty sure I have a, a personal email out there. You can also, any type of, I would say, social media or even through Intersys as well would be fine. I also don't mind sharing that I'm a, a member of the HRPA. And so I know that some of my colleagues in the HR space are out there in HRPA as well. And I would be happy to kind of network and connect there at a conference soon too. Shannon, thanks for hanging out with us. Uh, when I think about this conversation that we've had, there's a handful of things that stood out to me that I think is important to call out. And one of the things that you mentioned early on that I think is important for a lot of leaders to keep in mind is don't be afraid to take chances on people and be calculated about taking chances on people because it's that opportunity, that stretch that's going to often propel them to the next level in their career. So you can't let fear dictate those sort of decisions. Be smart about it, but don't be afraid of taking those chances. The other thing that was pretty interesting is that if you want to build a development culture, you can't just wish and hope for it to happen. You have to have that North Star defined. You have to align it with your mission and values. But the other thing is, from a tactical perspective, when you're giving somebody a stretch opportunity, when you're giving them a development opportunity, you can't approach it as a gotcha moment. Here, we want you to take this on, figure it out. That's setting your people up to fail. So if you want to build a culture that embraces failure, embraces development, you have to have clarity around what the expectations are and be that coach. The third thing that came out that stood out to me was your, your emphasis on having a couple people in positions of power in the organization that's going to model what good looks like, what this culture needs to look like. And that starts with those leaders being able to have candor and also transparency in recognizing their own potential gaps or blind spots that they talk about out loud so that everybody else that's on their downline also has the comfort of speaking those things out in the open. So those are really important things that I felt that, that I gathered from this conversation. And I appreciate that you sharing that with us. For those of you who have listened to the conversation, make sure you reach out to Shannon. Uh, make sure you leave us a review. Tune in next time where we'll have another leader joining us and share with us 
the game-changing realizations they had that helped them build high-performing teams. Thanks for listening to this episode of the HR Impact Show. We hope you liked the conversation. Don't forget to continue supporting us by joining the HR Impact community. You can find the community at www.engagerocket.co slash HR Impact. Tune in next time where we'll have another guest who's going to share with us the game-changing insights that help them build high-performing teams.